part of our own discovery of our identity. And there's a lot of conversation now about identity. But, um, and, and I think that the reason why there's so much anxiety and depression now is people who don't know who they are, what they are. They aren't rooted in a meta-narrative. If you're defining yourself, then that's pretty tenuous, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll define yourself as something else tomorrow. Maybe you define yourself inappropriately and now you're going to pay the price for that. There's much to fear. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that maybe a lot of this anxiety, anxiety is warranted. But um, Jacob bound his identity in God. And there's, there's a real um, substance to that, something that's solid. And, I, and I, that ought to bring us to a place of Sukkot. And I think that that's what people, especially young people today, need is is this place of, of shelter and rest, and it just can't be found in any other place. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast. I'm Kent, and this is Nathan. We are seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith. We're in a series called According to Scripture, mm-hmm. and today we're, I think we're in uh, Lesson 7, are we? uh, Wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. And our subtitle is, our provocative subtitle is, The Only Way to Know God is Through a Face-to-Face Confrontation. What? We're going to be looking at the story about Jacob, Jacob's wrestling with God today, and that's sort of the life of Jacob today. Yeah. Who's that Jacob guy, though? You want to bring us up to speed? Jacob. Last time we talked about Isaac, right? And that guy almost didn't have kids. Yeah, he almost didn't have kids, but then he did. Uh, He was spared. Go back and listen to the previous episode. Do it. This is the son of Isaac, the second-born son of Isaac. So now we're doing our highlights. Jacob, the second-born son of Isaac. The name means something like deceiver or trickster. Mm, that's messed up. Uh, a place in Palestine—Mahanaim. Mahanaim uh, is another key word for today. A place in Palestine. The name means two camps. We've got another place, Penuel or Penile. I went to a summer camp called Camp Penile. Really? Yep. Oh, man. And it means face of God. That's really ambitious. Yeah. yeah. The name given to a river crossing, Penile. Israel means struggles with God. The new name given to Jacob by the man who wrestled with him all night. Sukkoth or Sukkot. People say Sukkot, don't they? Yeah. Um, shelters in Hebrew means shelters, the place where Jacob settled after his return from Padan Aram. Yeah, we got some words, and these words mean stuff, and the stuff is important. Got some highlights here. The first one is Isaac grows up and has two sons who are fraternal twins. The twins engage in a rivalry from before their birth. The younger of the twins is born holding on to the heel of his older brother, and so is named Jacob, which means supplanter but describes a person who gets the better of another through trickery. Mm -mm. Jacob's life of taking advantage of others and being taken advantage of reaches a crisis point where he must confront an unbeatable foe and find a new approach to life. Out of his confrontation with the one he discovers to be God in the flesh, he receives a new name and with it a new outlook on his former rival. That's, that's that's Esau. Esau no, yeah. Esau. Esau, yeah. his brother. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Israel, formerly Jacob, finds rest in his 
in a relationship with God predicated on grace. Okay, those are our highlights. That gives us some kind of context uh, and some key words and some key ideas. Now we're going to dive into the story. Yeah. You want to do it? Genesis 25, beginning with verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Cool. Yeah. So time goes on. These guys continue their uh, rivalry. They were fighting in the womb, and then uh, they have this kind of messed up family dynamic where um, Isaac prefers Esau because Esau is this manly man, this hairy dude that uh, does a lot of hunting and stuff like that. And then Jacob is described as kind of a mama's boy who likes to hang out in the tent and, uh, you know, learn how to cook and stuff like that. So that's nice until um, Rebecca, well, first Esau uh, or Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright. So in those days, let's say you had two kids, right? And uh, you have this whole estate. And that was a thing called, I guess, primogeniture. So the, the firstborn gets two-thirds while the secondborn gets a third and so on. So if you had, you know, six kids, then um, the oldest, I guess, would have, what was it, two-sevenths or something, right? So um, <clears throat> it, the, the oldest gets this double portion normally. And uh, Jacob, being a wily sort of a fella, um, gets Esau to give him his his birthright, his larger share mm-hmm. of the parents' um, estate. So that's the first thing he does, um, and we won't go into that story. And then the second thing he does is apparently this paternal blessing is a big deal. So father of the family would pronounce some sort of a... Uh, we don't really bless people so much in the sense that we're kind of calling down God's favor onto somebody kind of to their face. But back then, I guess it was a bigger deal. And uh, Rebecca wanted Jacob to have that because Jacob was her favorite. And uh, so, and maybe she knew that Isaac was in in his favoritism toward Esau was going to pronounce this kind of total blessing. You know, it seems like he'd be like, and you'll, you know, and may God give you this, this, and this. And then, and then, you know, you'd have this ceremony where you bring perhaps all the kids up and you bless them and give them all the blessing, but you're distributing a blessing and you're not just calling one of them in front of you without the other one there so that you can give him all of the blessing. And then the other one, you give him nothing. And that seems almost like what Isaac is up to as he tells Esau, go and hunt some game and bring it to me and feed it to me and I'll give you my blessing. He seems to be saying, I'm going to give you everything in in this term, which 
you know, hey, I, I understand the whole estate thing. I guess that um, at least that was something that was predecided as far as the birthright. But when it comes to a blessing, there's something really unfair, I think, about Isaac's approach to this. Uh, Jacob or Rebecca could see that coming, and she thought, <clears throat> "I'm going to make sure my kid gets it." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the one I prefer. So uh, through this whole kind of uh, strange story, uh, somehow Jacob, you know, tricks his dad into giving him the blessing. And Esau, that's something Esau did value. We're told that Esau despised his birthright. He didn't care that much about the estate. He wanted to go hunt and fish. He didn't really want to do all the farming uh, and livestock herding and stuff like that. So I can see why he didn't care about it. He's like, whatever, you know, you can have it. But when it came to this blessing, that was something that Esau valued. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when Jacob swoops in there and steals it somehow, now Esau's mad, like really, really mad. It says in Genesis 27, verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Mm-mm. Yeah, so... Kind of serious stuff, right? We got some fratricide, at least going on. So uh, Jacob runs away because you know he's not gonna stand it out with Esau. Obviously, mm-hmm. this guy's gonna tear him apart. Um, and he goes to uh, Rebecca, sends him to her brother's house. Her brother Laban is there in Padan Aram, there in the north uh, east or whatever from uh, Canaan where they are, and uh, goes there. Has this whole thing where he he falls in love uh, with Rachel, mm-hmm. agrees to work for Laban for seven years to marry Rachel, but uh, is tricked. He gets tricked. <laughs> he gets tricked. Yeah, yeah. the trickster yeah. gets tricked. Right. Yeah, they say you can't kid a kidder or whatever, but you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, that's the best person to kid because then you don't feel bad about it, right? He would have done it to me. Mm-hmm. I'll get him first. So anyway, he he meets this match. Apparently, it runs in the family on his mom's side. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> he could see that, you know. And so yeah. Laban, uh, he uh, he kind of messes Jacob over, and Jacob kind of tries to get his piece of it, and ends up. You know, he kind of develops this estate in Laban's house. He decides, I need to run away. And so he runs away, takes everything that he's acquired in Laban's house, which again is... Did he have, a, did he have, did he have an encounter with God? Did God talk to him about leaving? Yeah, yeah. I think God told him it's time to, to beat feet. Um, and so, yeah, he's going to take off. He tells his wives by this time he has Leah and Rachel and then some uh, concubines, I guess, or whatever they are. So... So he's got 11 kids at this point, 11 sons at least, and uh, he's got two wives, two concubines. And But the big concern is, is he takes all the livestock and everything he's acquired that he's watching at the time. And So that's a concern for Laban. Laban chases him down. They make this agreement that... They have a, a near encounter. Yeah, right, yeah. So Laban's here, coming yeah. with men, <laughs> yeah. catching yeah. up with him. Right, yeah, Jacob, he seems to have this pattern that he's always leaving town, you know, mm-hmm. fleeing from somebody that's, that's wanting to kill him or whatever. Uh-huh. So, <clears throat> yeah, so Laban, I think Laban's warned uh, that, you know, he shouldn't do anything to... Him, That's right. God meets Laban, t- talks yeah. to Laban about don't don't do any, yeah. th- any harm yeah. to Jacob. Yeah, but Jacob. So Jacob is uh, he's heading back to the to the land of promise. Um, he's burned some bridges behind him, right in Laban's house. So whereas he previously could flee to Laban, now fleeing to Laban's probably not the best thing to do, right? They build this 
heap of stones that, that says, hey, this is a witness that says, you know, at, at least he's, you know, we're not going to cross over to do harm to one another, kind of a treaty. But I think that there's also kind of this hard boundary that, you know, Jacob is kind of up against this wall. Uh, we're going back, I think, would be perhaps to forfeit all of the things that he's been allowed to leave with. Um, so going back it to Laban, you know, is uh, probably not uh, an option. So he burned bridges in, um, where are they living? Padanaram. Padanaram. Yeah. And he spends time with Laban. Then he leaves Laban having burned bridges with Laban. Right, yeah. So he's he's between a rock and a hard place. Right, yeah. And so he hits this place called Mahanaim, right? Um, and he has this encounter. Yeah, and we said in our highlights, in our keywords, that Mahanaim means two places. Two camps. Two camps. Mm -hmm. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Yeah, so it means two camps. And uh, he names it that because he sees the camp of God. What's the other camp? Yeah. Is it his camp? It's him, yeah, right. And so he's like, "Well, we, you know, we, we'll camp here together." Um, but you know, if let's say you're out and you decide you want to go to the woods and you take your family, and um, you set up, you know, you're getting ready to set up your tent. You look over there, and there's somebody you used to go to church with, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and he's setting up. Now, what do you do? Hey, well, right. you, you ought to go, hey, let's set up together. Right, yeah. Let's build one fire, put our tents uh -huh. around it. But uh, what uh, what would it say if you're like, hey, Joe, and you and you just set your camp up and your fire and you don't, you don't actually, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and that would happen because maybe you're not that close. Yeah. So it would mean you're not that close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like right. we're, we're, we're acquainted. Right. We're not good friends. Right. And, and you may think I'm, I'm reading into it, but it seems to me that, Jacob understands that he's not going to camp with God's camp, right? This is a, this is, we're in one place, two camps. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So there's a, there's a dividedness here that is, I think, suggested by that name, Mahanaim. And this uh, name comes up again and again. And, and that's something that I, I just want to point out is in scripture, um, names, place names, person names, they mean something. Remember, all of this comes out of a non-literate society. We're reading a book, but we're reading about people, you know. It, Who it, told this story. Right. I mean, you're not going to read this story and say, you know, and Abraham went into his tent with his scribe and cataloged all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't see Abraham being a literate person. He's reading a scroll or writing on vellum. None, none of that is a part of Abraham's life, okay, or Isaac or Jacob. You know, they're Bedouins. We, what we read about is, is devices that non-literate people did. Like, so we talk about this covenant, right? You're walking between bloody animal parts. Mm -hmm. You know, if you could, if you could write on a contract, you'd probably do that instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so there's this non-literate society, but it doesn't mean that they're not capable of transmitting and preserving their stories. Mm -hmm. And that's, I guess that's a point I would like to make. So let's say the most liberal Bible scholar would say that all of this was written by Ezra the scribe, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in... Yeah, a thousand years later. come back, 516 mm -hmm. B.C. Okay, if that's the case, that's fine, except he probably had written source materials. 
Um, we know that there were books that didn't make it to us. The book of Jashar, uh, for one, is mentioned in Scripture, and, you know, and we're even uh, sent to it. It's like, and go read the rest of this in the book of Jashar. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I would, but, you know. So, but that doesn't mean that significant or important things are lost. It doesn't mean that the overarching narrative is unreliable. Okay, uh, if we assume that, we're just projecting onto these people our own failings, mm-hmm. uh, that we're not very good at an oral tradition, but it doesn't mean that they weren't. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that they would maintain their stories and keep this um, kind of integrity to what they were saying was through place names. So I want us to get that this place name is, was Jacob's way of writing his story down so that when his descendants walked through this place, they could walk through his experience again, literally say, this is Mahanayim, this is mm-hmm. Peniel, this is Sukkot. And what we're going to see in this story is that Jacob is making a spiritual journey as he's traveling through these physical places. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's beautiful, it's genius. You know, mm-hmm. uh, It's one of the reasons I think that that rocky scrub of dirt over there in Palestine is the holy land is because these features um, are are the first library of God's dealings with humankind or at least in through this particular vein mm-hmm. so yeah it's named Mahanaim and I and the first point I would make from this word two camps is that Jacob is has a bit of a strained relationship with God. I don't know if you remember when he went through Bethel. He was, well, we didn't talk about that, I guess, but uh, if you remember in the scripture, as he's fleeing from Esau, he has this encounter with an angelic um, manifestation in a place that he names Bethel. This and, is the house of God. Is that what he said? Right, house of God, because he, he sees a staircase or a ladder mm-hmm. reaching to heaven, angels moving up and down. Um, and in this manifestation... He, he uh, makes this deal with God. If, if God will take me, you know, and, and bring me back sa- safely, he will be my God and I will build a house for him here and all of that. So Jacob is already working out a negotiation, mm-hmm. you know. So he, he realizes that God's out there. He doesn't really have a relationship with him. He seems to, he's, he addresses God as the God of his father, um, but not necessarily his own God. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, what I would, a point I would make from this. And, and we can talk about application, I guess, at the end, just resisting temptation to talk about application. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's, uh, he's nearby God. He's running in parallel with God, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are two camps. And uh, this two camps theme continues as we read through the rest of the chapter. Chapter Genesis 32, verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Right. Yeah. Let's let's roll out the welcome mat, right? Yeah. Come on, 400 men. Take your swords so that we can welcome 
Jacob, I hear he's coming back, right? So what do you think that the name Two Camps has to do with this exchange here, this moment? Any thoughts? Well, I mean, are you saying that it might refer then to Esau's camp? Yeah. yeah so we have yeah. Jacob's camp. Yeah. And, which was sizable. And right. now we have Esau's camp, which is clearly sizable. <laughs> yeah. 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 So he's uh, he's coming and, and there are two camps again. Right. Uh-huh. Um, now, that's that's not specified. Uh, and we might think, well, maybe maybe. Hey, Nathan, you're making too much of this. You know, that's not what the narrative, the narrative doesn't say. And Esau came with his camp. OK, well, let's read a little farther, um, because I think that it, just like we said last time on the language, how it was used, Elohim, the pivot where Angel of Yahweh talks about Elohim in first and in third and first person and then Yahweh, right? Uh, that to me, that looks intentional, that there is a, a message behind the message. Mm-hmm. Got it? Mm-hmm. Okay, and so um, I would say that here we're going to see that there's a message behind the message. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, mm. If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So now Jacob's yeah. dividing his own camp into two camps. Right. Yeah. yeah. So he's got this place, Mahanaim, two camps, where he saw the angels of God. Yeah. And they were camping over there. Right. Then he's got Esau's camp coming to meet his camp. Right. And now he's divided his camp into two camps. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So just practically speaking, if you're telling this story, what is the name Mahanaim supposed to do, right? It's supposed to remind you of these details. God, Esau, Jacob, two camp, two camp, two camp. And in, and so in the Hebrew, this is, he divided his people into Mahanaim, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a mnemonic, but it is also, I think, it's trying to communicate to us something, uh, something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And something to learn from. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's this guy. He's split into two camps. His his family is split into two camps. What would you call his strategy here? Uh, the two camp strategy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would I call it? Yeah, yeah. What What would you uh, if you were if tactically? Oh, this is some yeah. kind of. Oh, there's maybe a military term for it. There's yeah. some kind of defensive strategy. You know, uh, yeah. divide. Uh, you know, it's not divide and conquer. It's divide and survive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like if they kill this one camp, at least yeah. there'll be this other camp. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe uh, cutting your losses. Uh-huh. You know, this idea that you you're facing an overwhelming force and uh, you can't run in the other direction you're stuck so what do you do right you're really the devil in the deep blue sea you're you're stuck so what do you do and and i think that most of us can relate to that that there are times when it just doesn't seem like there's a viable option and so we have to start cutting our losses we have to start thinking in terms of the lesser of two evils and Mm -hmm. so this two camps experience if you will um then it, it kind of throws us into a two camp, a dilemma, you know, where we begin to have to do things where we are suffering pain in either option. And yet we don't feel that we have any other way around it, you know? So, um, here goes mm-hmm. some more. Mm-hmm. And this, and this is, and this is kind of the way, uh, Jacob has lived his whole life. Right. He's in, he's in, he's not close to God. He and God are not in the same camp. They, so he has to sort of make his own way. Manage yeah. life on his own terms. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so yeah, living in parallel with God, maybe you can make a deal with him. Maybe you can somehow convince him to help you, but he is not on your side. He is mm. on his own side. Mm. And if you can somehow entice him or offer him something, then maybe you can get him to throw you a bone. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to be Jacob's outlook. But that has put him at odds in two camps mm -hmm. with the people around him. Laban behind him, Esau before him, and now it has run a, a divide down the middle of his own household into two camps. And that's maybe the division of his own camp into two camps is symbolic of the fact that his own family is divided because there's oh, yeah. Rachel and there's Leah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan previously. And now I have become two camps. Oh, is that there it is again. Word? Yes, it is. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said... Quote, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he's quoting, yeah. he's, he's quoting God to God. Yes, he is. Reminding God of his promise. Sure. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But uh, you can tell he himself is in two camps. So I really want to say, I want to notice that this two camps divide. It's like a zipper. It seems to... to or uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's these concentric circles, I guess, they, getting ever closer to the person and finally within the person. That So there's this enmity, not really enmity, but a, a lack of, of unity with God. And then there is this enmity between ourselves, our own tribe, and, and that which is other, even our extended family, perhaps. And then there is our own household those who are in our immediate sphere. And then there's our own self, our psyche, the position maybe we're taking on a, on a matter. Um, and we can see in Jacob that there is this divide all the way down into his own personality where, or at least his outlook, where he is going back and forth. He's really wrestling mm -hmm. <laughs> with between the promises of God, his expectation, his hopes, um, and what he sees coming, what, what he can anticipate, and the um, facts as they are presenting themselves to him, they have him split in half. And you can see that as he vacillates, you know, he calls on God of Abraham and Isaac, which is not his God at this moment, sort of, um, you know. And, and then he presents these promises and his expectation. He looks at his own past and he says, you've actually been really good to me to the point that I have enough people to split into two camps, you know. Um, but I also am looking forward. So he's split between his past and his forward. In the past, God's been good. I'm looking out there, and I'm seeing certain death or mm -hmm. destruction, mm -hmm. you know, uh, decimation, all that. I, I have my expectation, my fear versus my hope. And so mm -hmm. Jacob is, is split down the middle into two camps, even as he's sitting there in two camps. Um, and so he will eventually send all of his people away um, so that he's alone in the middle of the night or in the dark of night 
on uh, on this one side of this little brook that he's um, near. And what do you think God's going to do to help him if you're if you're writing this story, right? This guy's at the low point, man. Right? Mm-hmm. God's faithful. He's good to this man. He's been good to him. He's treated him better than he deserved by his own admission. What's God going to do in this dark of night? What do we want him to do? Just comfort him, remind him, defend him. Speak to him. You would you you might anticipate that God would speak to him. Yeah. That that there would be another message from God. Mm-hmm. Because there's been a pattern of that. Yeah. Or how about a pillar of fire to chase off Esau's army? That'd be good, mm. right? Yeah. yeah. We know he's going to do that later, so uh but that's not what happens. What does he do? And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, Penuel, limping because of his hip. Yeah, so here's the third time that God's appeared to Jacob. But this time, he appears as... A regular dude, right? A man. Yeah. Physical man mm-hmm. who wrestled with Jacob. Yeah. And not even Fought someone him. who's super strong. Not like a demigod, right? He didn't come and start slamming Jacob around, you know. He didn't give him his licks. Um, and yet, at the same time, he doesn't show up to comfort him. You know, it's just like Jacob's at this low and all of a sudden, you know, he just gets this elbow to the side of the head. Mm. <laughs> you know, you just think, mm. what is going on here? You mm-hmm. know, uh, but... All night long. Yeah. But I think it's this kind of confrontation that Jacob has spent his life avoiding. You know, as a, as a clever guy, as a trickster, he's moving around in the shadows. He's managing people and mm-hmm. God, he, mm-hmm. he thinks, right? Um, he's arranging a quid pro quo. He's pulling off a deception. There, there's all of this stuff he's doing, even as he's leaving Laban's house. You know, he avoids this this confrontation. He finally has it as Laban catches up to him. But he seems to avoid this pretty much his whole life, and that that has left him in this place of um, this very low place where all of it's catching up to him. Mm-hmm. And I think as he's as he encountered the camp of God and he was like, oh, there he is over there, right? And, and he's happy to keep God's camp in a distance, mm-hmm. you know? It's, it, and so there's this kind of, there's this being impressed, there's this wonder, there's this appreciation of God. Yeah, and looking back in retrospect, look at what God has done for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so there's this desire to, to worship God from a distance, I suppose, for mm-hmm. Jacob, and that God might arrange things at a distance, um, and yet I don't. I don't think God is satisfied with being two camps with Jacob. God seems to want to be one camp with Jacob, to camp in Jacob's midst. Camp uh, Nile. Right. Yeah. So there's a face-to-face encounter, and it and 
What did we say Benial means? Face of God. Face of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's this um, encounter that God, uh, and it's a real, it's a confrontation. It's not just a, you know, handshake. You know, wrestling is not uh, pleasant. Uh, And for Jacob, it resulted in a lifelong injury that he he carried from then on. Um, And I think that the way I see this is, Jacob had spent his whole life trying to win. And he had really taken a win-lose approach to life. Uh, or at least, a, at best, you, can, you could hope for a compromise. So, you know, if, if there are resources to be had, either I'm going to have them all, or I'm going to get my share um, as much as possible. Okay, so that's Jacob's approach to life, to either win or be, uh, or reach a equitable um, armistice or truce or agreement, mm-hmm. right? So that's the approach, that there's this adversarial relationship with everyone, even himself, <laughs> and that trying to find that, um, that place where you can manage that adversarial relationship and come out on top was for Jacob an important thing. Now God comes to wrestle with him. He doesn't conquer Jacob. Certainly, we, I think we would expect that God, if, had he wanted to, mm-hmm. could have prevailed over him. And yet, uh, this seems to be orchestrated so that Jacob wins. Mm-hmm. Jacob mm-hmm. is declared the winner mm-hmm. of, of the wrestling match, match with God. Right. Now, mm-hmm. does that mean that God lost It doesn't have to mean that. I mean, it right. could be that God intends to get a message through to Jacob mm-hmm. through the through losing the wrestling match. Right. With him. Yeah. Right. So God, Jacob has a win-lose approach to life. God has a win-win. God declares Jacob the winner. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, in, I guess, vanishing at sunrise, really, you know, declares to Jacob that he didn't have to lose and that Jacob didn't actually defeat God. Um, and so there's this depiction of a different approach to life. Not, it, you might, we might say that at two camps, um, you Jacob, mean You mean because it becomes apparent to Jacob that he's been wrestling with God. Right. And so Jacob realizes that he didn't, that God, that this was God, and God let him prevail. Right. Yeah. Jacob doesn't walk off there boasting, "Hey, man, I wrestled this guy until he uh-huh. totally kicked his butt." He's uh-huh. like, just happy to be alive. Right. 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 Yeah. If, Such... you, if you walk away from a fight happy to be alive, um, ge- generally you're not thinking, you know, come back if you ever want right. some more. Right. H- hence the response. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, face of God, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Right. Yeah. And so there's this encounter with God face to face. Previously, Jacob's relationship at best could have been described as side by side with God, maybe. And mm-hmm. maybe a lot of people want that kind of a relationship with God, mm-hmm. this side by side relationship where, you know, we're each doing our own thing. Um, and if I need you, I will let you know, and maybe you'll come and help me. Maybe you won't. Hopefully, I can figure things out if you don't. Um, uh, at least maybe I can cut my losses, right? Mm-hmm. That's a way, that's a side-by-side approach or two camps approach to God. But 
God doesn't seem satisfied with that approach to the point that he's willing to literally get in Jacob's face and to rename him, give him this new name. So, you know, I mean, what was it like to carry around this name Trickster? It had to be kind of, you know, giving somebody a heads up, you know, maybe you had to explain it, you know. It's like, right. well, that's not really who I am. It's just, you know, when I was born and I was twin and, you know, but the truth is that is who he was. Mm-hmm. And so God, God really changes Jacob's approach to life. And there's this idea that the struggle that this, engagement with God, not just to look over there and say, oh, there he is. Hey, you know, wave at him across the way. Mm-hmm. Keep your distance. <laughs> but, to, but to get hands on him, mm-hmm. right? And let him get hands on you, that there's this dance, this embrace, you know, and if it has to be, <laughs> if it has to be adversarial and hostile and at times, then it will be, you mm-hmm. know, you read the Psalms and the Psalmist is like, where are you, you know? That's this engagement with God, this refusal to um, keep it polite. Mm-hmm. And God, God seems to appreciate that. And so Jacob goes through a kind of conversion mm-hmm. at this moment. And he comes up with what I would call is a definition of grace. Uh, that I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been spared. That what mm-hmm. he was avoiding was a call to account really jacob knew who he was and he mm-hmm. prayed that mm-hmm. you know he's kind of like i'm, I'm kind of mystified that things have really worked out because i know who i am mm-hmm. and maybe all of us you know we know who we are and so we just kind of avoid god and yet god didn't seem satisfied and he really um, kind of orchestrated this confrontation and now jacob has realized that god is God is, uh, I got what did C.S. Lewis said? He's not safe, but he's good, mm-hmm. you know. And so he's had this encounter with God. By the way, this isn't the last time someone would have an encounter with God as a human. And I, and I want us to keep this in mind because, again, we get to the New Testament and Jesus shows up and he's talking to the Jews and he's like, guys, it's me. And they're like, what do you mean it's you? <laughs> right? And, and we think, or at least I used to always think, that's not fair for God to show up as a human to these monotheists who've been prohibited from even creating a depiction of God. Okay? And then it, God shows up as a human and says, it's me. And for them to somehow make this radical shift in their theology from a God who is so holy and um, transcendent that we can't even visualize him to being this dude, mm-hmm. right? And th- to me, that seemed unfair. But if you really read the Old Testament, God showed up as a regular guy a lot. Mm-hmm. Really, he kind of he retires from that manifestation after Israel demands a human king. And so... Uh, that we could explore that later. But before Israel demands a human king, lots of encounters with this guy that nobody can tell the difference. Nobody's like, oh, we're afraid. You know, sometimes angels show up and they're resplendent and everybody mm-hmm. falls down like they're mm-hmm. dead, right? But this guy showed up and... Um, the angel of the Lord, the messenger along. of the Lord. Right, yeah, yeah. he's just hanging out. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't know he's even there. He kind of is just, you know, chilling in the, in the backwater. Um, you know, chewing on a little barley stalk and, you know, just hanging out doing his thing, right? And so when he uh, engages with Jacob, he's just a dude of regular strength, right? You know, he's not somebody that's especially powerful. 
And um, so physically, Jacob, it seems, is uh, prevailing over him. Now, God has, seems to have, uh, this other combatant seems to have a intimate grasp of human anatomy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. so he's not using some divine power, but he is using his uh, knowledge of human anatomy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you can touch somebody, and cause them a lifelong injury, you're probably really familiar with the way they're constructed, you know? Um, so he does this, but this definition of grace, you know, I've seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered or spared, right? So Jacob experiences a salvation and he experiences a conversion. And I think that conversion is signified by this new name. Mm-hmm. Um, wrestles with God, Israel. Right, yeah. And so this is a whole new chapter. You know, goes from being this trickster to somebody who is, who is face-to-face engaged with God. And that that becomes the legacy. Notice, you know, if you know the history of all of it, that this nation isn't called the Abrahamites or the Isaacites. You know, they're called the Israelites. So mm-hmm. it's this this moment, this messed up guy there's really nothing likable about this fellow mm-hmm. you know i mean to me that 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 i there have been very few cultures that are on the in the history of humankind where being a a trickster was a positive trait mm-hmm. you know um seinfeld had this thing where um kramer tells seinfeld that a mutual friend named mike uh once called seinfeld a phony mm-hmm and now Seinfeld is salty about him, man. He is just holding a grudge. And he finally, he finally, Mike shows up in the story, and he finally confronts Mike. And he says, you said I'm a phony. And uh, Mike's like, no, man, I, I meant it like a good thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like bad. And we talk about he's so bad. And, and uh, he's like, oh, yeah, we use it in a sentence. And he says, uh, that Michael Jordan is so phony. And, he, you know, nobody's buying it. Right? There, there's no way to redeem that word phony. And um, so, you know, the same with, with this idea of deceiver, trickster. You know, There's no way to redeem it. That's And this guy is not somebody you want to be your friend. He's not a likable fellow. He's not an admirable fellow. There are no redeeming traits in this person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important that the story is told that way because we're really given an alternative. You know, it could have easily gone, you know, and our progenitor was a very powerful man, you know, Mm -hmm. and he always kept his word and his father loved him. And yeah, he got messed over, but he was awesome. You know, that's the kind of person. He stayed faithful to the end. Right. Yeah. 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 But that's not who we get. We get this guy, this little mama's boy weasel that nobody likes. And now God has chosen him, you know. And so the place name has changed. And so has the um, mode that this guy's in, right? He's gone from two camps to face-to-face with God. Right. He's gone from deceiver to wrestles with God. Mm-hmm. His name has changed as well. Right, yeah. So Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. 
But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Esau asked, what's, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. All right, man, that is some good stuff. Notice the repetition of the face of God, Peniel. You know, that this is the overarching mode that we are in now. We've, we transitioned mm-hmm. from two camps to Peniel. Yeah, we saw repetition of two camps. It was right. being used repeatedly. Right, yeah, it was used at least two more times after that initial uh-huh. naming of the place. Now the place is named Peniel, for I've seen face to uh, it's God face to face, and He's left me alive. Uh-huh. And so now uh, Jacob is, I think, sensitized to God's favor. Uh-huh. So this encounter has to happen. Jacob shows up with his four hundred men. We think he's toast. Um, I don't know why our Esau shows up with four hundred men. We don't know why Esau came out with four hundred men. Maybe he had intentions of uh, wiping out Jacob. Maybe he had an encounter with God. God cha- yeah. changed him. Like God changed Jacob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, what I what I like in this story is is that even though in the narrative Esau is the one that's not selected, not not the bearer of the promise, he becomes the um, this kind of representative for God. He mm-hmm. represents God's approach to us. Mm-hmm. You know that God can come at us with this overwhelming force, and we ought we do have reason to fear Him, and yet. Um, that is not his design or his um, treatment of us. And this, so, yeah, and Jesus picks up on that when Jesus reads this story. Because when Jesus told his story about the prodigal, he described the father in these terms. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a story about two brothers, right? And the older brother's faithful, and the younger brother is a wastrel, right? He is a prodigal. So it really, to some degree, Jesus is casting the Israelites as as children of the prodigal, mm-hmm. and they were, mm-hmm. you know, the one that left and went to the far country. Now, worked out well for Jacob, and, and yet he had to flee. He comes back, hat in hand, hoping for acceptance, and, and he finds it, though. He finds it more than he could have anticipated, beyond what he could have expected. The language is the same, though. Esau ran to, the, the father is described in the same way. Clearly, yeah. it's an allusion to this story yes. when Jesus tells his story. Absolutely. Yeah. He ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arm around his neck and kissed him. Right. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and that is a moment of grace. When we, we talk about face-to-face with God, what, and, and so Jacob puts a, a fine point on it in case we missed it. He says, God has been gracious to me. And I think that that... Here we have a depiction of somebody who's been in this economy. You know, he's had this very um, kind of a transactional approach to life where, you know, you're going to rob from somebody or you're going to find that there are finite resources to be had. There's, There's only so much birthright. There's only so much blessing. Okay. There's only so many flocks and herds. And, um, and so you have to get yours. And now Jacob has seen that, that this is all orchestrated by God. 
you know, that God's got it all. And, and Esau has flourished. You know, I mean, it's a lot easier to be forgiving of somebody when you're in a, you're succeeding. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. lot easier to be magnanimous. And so here's Esau. He's flourished. It's not like everything's gone bad for him. He's done well mm-hmm. in Jacob's absence. And so he he's extending really grace to Jacob. And Jacob sees it as it is. He says, this is the face of God. Jacob can recognize God's face in Esau. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, Jesus applies that. He really takes Esau as kind of a type for the way God receives us, uh, that this is a moment of grace. And that's what really converts somebody, you know. Um, if God had participated somehow in this economy and allowed Jacob you know, to somehow, hey, give him a tip on how to get away or how to cut his losses. Or, you know, if you send uh, Leah and um, or Bilhah and Zilpah's kids over, you know, then you can save Leah's and um, Rachel's kids and stuff. But that's not how it goes, that there's this complete rescue. Um, and, and I think that's what's important because here you have these two brothers who'd been fighting over resources and place and all of that, who are now kind of in this polite fight. They're trying to just push these resources back to each other. You know, what, what a shift, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something I think super important for all of us to grasp from this. And if we're really going to learn from this story, it is that, that grace ought to free us from this tug of war over stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many fights are, are there among people who ought to love one another mm-hmm. because of stuff? Mm-hmm. And, and that we, you know, Jesus says, don't resist an evil person. That we're going to run into evil people, right? Now, if an evil person, let's say you have this rope that represents everything you've acquired in life, okay? Mm-hmm. And an evil person starts to tug on that rope. Mm-hmm. And that tugging on the rope is, is, um, is a broken response to life. Mm-hmm. What do you do when they tug on the rope? Oh, tug back. Right? Pull back. <laughs> but tugging on the rope is a broken response to life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So what they've done is, is they've caused you to participate in, in the fall. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if they tug on the rope and you push the, your end toward them, now the war is over, right? Mm-hmm. If, is God capable of giving you another rope? He sure is. Mm-hmm. You know, is God capable of changing that person's heart so that they give you your rope back? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think this is how peace and shalom breaks into the world when God becomes the mediator between these struggles that we have. When this encounter with God, when we quit trying to manage Him and we really engage with Him face to face, and and we have Him in our camp. Now, if he's in our camp, are we worried about the other ones? If he's in our camp, well, I'm no longer two camps with Esau. He comes into my camp, too. You know, my family's no longer divided because I'm not trying to cut my losses and, you know, trying to figure out how to, how to salvage everything um, and making these decisions that are potentially harmful to the relationships in my life, right? And instead, I'm... I'm relinquishing, and, I, and there's something super important about that statement, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. Mm-hmm. James, uh, in the book of James, says, uh, let patience have its purpose, w- perfect work, that you might be 
complete and entire, lacking nothing. So there's this filling up, I think, that comes through this face-to-face encounter with God. And it's what we're afraid of. You know, we're just afraid of loss, and we want to mitigate loss. And what God is so we live in us, self-protection. Yeah, and that splits us down the middle, man. We're we're just we're constantly worried and afraid and skeptical and cynical, uh, and it causes us to do dangerous and painful and destructive things to other people. Um, Psalm twenty-three says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when the Lord is your shepherd, when you're trusting him, when you are not your shepherd protecting yourself, but he is right. your shepherd, then you have all that you need. Right, yeah. And he's finally made the Lord his shepherd. He finally has, yeah. And so, um, and we see that he, this is a, a just a changed approach to life, um, and that that is depicted by yet another place name. Okay. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukkot, Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters, because Sukkoth means shelter, yeah. and, and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkot. Right. So I hope you're convinced by now that these place names are more than place names. That, that we are to get the main point of this phase of the story from the place name. Two uh-huh. camps. Yeah. Uh, face of God. Right. Shelter. Right. Uh, and, and so I would, I would make the point. Now, Jacob hasn't entirely changed, right? <laughs> he still, uh, he, he'll still tell a lie here and there. Uh, that's a, maybe a family tradition for this, uh, this group. But he says, I'll come case, along to you, yeah. but he doesn't. He goes and settles in yeah. Sukkot. But in this case, it is a polite lie. It is a lie that is uh, engineered to keep, you know, allow Esau to save face as he's got family coming into town and they, he is obligated to take them in. Right, right. So it, it, it's keeping from being a burden to Esau. Exactly. I have all I need. You go on home, live your life, enjoy your yeah. life. I'm not going to be a bother and a burden to you. Yeah. Well, and I think that they there was a maybe a concern that these two would have intermingled, created that somehow the integrity of this nation that's that's burgeoning with uh, Jacob's line would become you know mixed back in, and that wouldn't have worked mm-hmm. because it seems that God has this intention and perhaps Jacob is taking that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, at any rate, you know, Jacob, Jacob tells what I think is a very benevolent lie and, and uh, helps Esau save face while also retaining the integrity of his own household and everything else. So um, I, I don't, I don't fault Jacob for this lie. This is like, uh, 
the first time that Jacob tells a lie that's not for his own advantage. For the good of others. He's finally yeah. actually looking out for someone else in, in his uh, deception. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think right. Esau knew. Yeah. I, you know, Esau knows the wind. He, he knows his brother. Uh-huh. And, and he knows what, what's going on. And, and this is a somewhat of a formality as people are. You know, it's kind of like at the restaurant. Right. Here, I'll get that check. No, let me, you know. Right, like that. right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Esau or Jacob finagles things so that uh he's you know he can pick up the check and he saw the can save face uh-huh. as as the the host let's say yeah so yeah he goes but uh, to me it it seems really important that this place is named sukkot or you know that it is the place of of shelter uh-huh. and it's not where jacob lands ultimately and we'll see more stuff about jacob's life uh in future installments or in the next one but uh you know to me, I see a very lot, and maybe I'm just reading my own life into this, but I see a very um, defined line between this realization that God is gracious and that he is um, in this embrace with me, you know, that he's not some distant being that I have to manage. Um, he's not a powerful force out there that I hope will be on my side, uh, but that he longs for this very intimate and personal embrace um, and in that embrace, there that there is rest, and that's kind of what I see Sukkot as representing that you are safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that Jacob had come to a place like that, and that that's the that's the goal. And maybe speaking to myself and anybody overhearing that. Uh, that ought to tell us something about how we're doing with God. You know, are we in this, are we in this place of, of rest and safety? Um, or are we thrashing about, you know, um, are we making deals and cutting our losses and split between hope and fear, you know, the past Mm -hmm. and the future, or are we at rest? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, if not, maybe we need to have an encounter with God yeah. so he can remind us of who we are. So, mm-hmm. After Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Yeah. El El Elohe Israel means something like, Mighty is the God of Israel. Yeah. So one more place name. One more, yeah. And why did he name, why do you think he named that altar that? You remember what he called God before when he was praying at, at two camps? God of my father Abraham and the God of Isaac, you've been good to me, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now who's God is now, it? Well, now he's, his name is now Israel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's easy for us to miss it that yeah. this, you know, we, we're familiar with the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so the God of Israel, the mighty is the God of Israel, we may miss the allusion to himself. Right. Yeah. Because at this point, it wasn't a nation. It was just him. (laughs) Yeah. So he's saying, mighty is my God. Mighty is the God of Jacob. Mighty is the God of Israel. Yes. And so he's, he's in taking up kind of personal ownership of this God, right? Realizing this God had hands on him. 
You know, he hadn't been avoiding or managing or yeah, this God, you know, that, that there was, it was nothing about him, that this God had hands on him all night and left him alive, you know, and it, and it has to do with that, that um, dichotomy we talked about last time. And here's this God who is just holy, right? That, that his very presence could just destroy us. And yet he, he comes as this human being and he takes up our life he just gets right in the midst of it and so there's nothing to to be afraid of i'm not gonna say there's nothing to fear and that we're supposed to fear god but but there's nothing to be afraid of in the sense that his grace is so great that we can live in that confidence and i think that that's what jacob realized so not only did he kind of take up God as his God. And that was, that was the question. I mean, that's what he'd said. If he, if he sends me out and he brings me back, then he will be my God. He did say that at the beginning of his journey, when he exited Padan Aram and he went off to go end up Mm -hmm. with Laban, he said, if you will take me there and bring me back here safely, you'll be my God. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, he's still in God, you know, it's just like, Hey, prove yourself to me. Uh, I'm going to keep my options open. There's lots of gods out there. And so, you know, uh, if you if you will show yourself as benevolent, then I will take up the Lord as my God. But if not, then there's other gods out there. You know, I mean, Jacob's keeping his options open when he's fleeing from Esau. Mm-hmm. But here he has this encounter, and he's like, "There really isn't another one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have this as him as my God." Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he and he takes up his own identity as Israel. Mm-hmm. Right, that he is, he understands this is who he is, and I think that part of part of our own discovery of our identity, and there's a lot of conversation now about identity, but um, and and I think that the reason why there's so much anxiety and depression now is people who don't know who they are, what they are, they aren't rooted in uh, meta narrative. If you're defining yourself, then that's pretty tenuous, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll define yourself as something else tomorrow. Maybe you define yourself inappropriately and now you're going to pay the price for that. There's much to fear. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that maybe a lot of this anxiety, anxiety is warranted, but, um, Jacob bound his identity in God. And there's, there's a real, um, substance to that, something that's solid. And I, and I, that ought to bring us to a place of Sukkot. And I think that that's what people, especially young people today need is, is this place of, of shelter and rest. And it just can't be found in any other place. If you try to find it in other people, you're always, um, kind of on this probationary, um, status because people's affections, you know, it's conditional. Um, but if I, we find our identity rooted in God, I think that we find a place of, of real rest. Mm-hmm. So now, um, the, um, boy, I wish we had more time. I have more questions, Nathan. <laughs> you know what? I'll have to ask you next time. Hey, hey people, you may have questions, listeners. Uh, you can email us at discussion at recoverfaith.org. We'd love to continue the conversation with you discussion at recoverfaith.org. Thanks. And we'll see you next time.